Thanks for joining us on the Father's House podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Want to learn more about us? Check us out online at thefathershouse.com. We'd love to stay connected. Now, let's go to this week's message. So we're talking today about another character in this League of the Least Likely. Before we start on this, I'm going to just ask you a question. I, in fact, I had Lisa to put this on uh, Facebook this week. Uh, by the way, if, if you don't follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, whoa, how about that? And all of those things, I'm not on TikTok, but I, I think I'm on some of those, then um, like us because, and then time to time, Lisa will ask a question. Like this week, she said, what is your favorite song that tells a story? What is your favorite song that tells a story? So when she puts those on, go ahead and respond. And don't always think, well, it's got to be religious, because my first one was a boy named Sue. You know, that's, uh, that's not really very religious, but it's about a story of a, of a kid by the name of Sue, because his dad wanted to grow up and be strong, all right? So some, some of you uh, wrote some great ones, and I was looking at some of those today, and here's some of the ones. I don't know, maybe what, what, what would you have said? Write it in your notes, or if you're online, just sort of jot it of... I would say this is a great story song. That's why I like country music. That's why I think God likes country music, uh, because it tells a story. It's not like rap. Shows my age there, right? Can you imagine? There you go. But here's the songs. Somebody said, my favorite story song is Seven Spanish Angels. Yeah, there's old Willie in that song right there. Here's one, Devil Went Down to Georgia. That's a good theological one there. Uh, three Wooden Crosses, Randy Travis, that's a great one. The Wreck of Edmund Fitzgerald, wow, yeah, isn't that a great one? The Champion by uh, Carmen, uh, The Thunder Rolls, Cat in the Cradle, I think that should be Cat in the Microwave. Fourth uh, of July, uh, Ashbury Park, uh, Jesus Take the Wheel, and how about Leonard Skinner's song, The Simple Man? All of those are different stories. So uh, what would you say? Well, today we're actually going to look at a song in the Bible that tells a story. And so I'd like for us to look at that today. And so if you'll open your Bible to Judges chapter 4, Judges chapter 5, we're going to look at that together. But let's pray. Father, we love you today. And Lord, I'm just believing, as Anita said a few minutes ago, there's some real miracles that happened today. And I declare that this is our new theme song. This is a house of miracles. This is a house of miracles. And Lord, as we approach your word, your word, sometimes that we've read over and over and over and over, and you just jump up and speak new things to us. And Lord, I humbly come before you today and say that uh, my words are just words. But when you take my words and put your anointing with them, then it, it, it inspires us and it changes our life. Even, even as we hear today, Lord, anoint our hearing that we can hear with an open heart. And Father, we thank you for the lives that are changed and touched today. In your name, Jesus, amen. Well, in Judges chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, I lead off today in your notes there and on the screen. It says, on that day, Deborah and Barak sang, when the leaders of Israel lead, notice that, notice what happened, notice conditions here for a revival, for a breakthrough, for miracles. When the leaders of Israel lead, when the people freely volunteer, bless the Lord. Notice that? It's when the leaders lead 
And people that, that, that God has called, that have a purpose, they volunteer and, and they fulfill that, then the song is, sing it with me, bless the Lord, come on, bless the Lord, one more time, bless the Lord, don't get nervous, all right, but bless the Lord, it's a song, it's a song. So hear, O kings, listen, O rulers, I will sing to the Lord, I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. So chapter five is all about the song. Now, Deborah probably wrote chapter four and chapter five. Chapter four is all about this battle and the miracle that God is going to bring. And then chapter five is a song that she wrote and she and Barak sang together. And so we're going to look at some of this today. So I guess you could just so you could say it like this. Barak sang bass and Deborah sang tenor and J.L. joined right in there. And so it's an unlikely group of people that are going to be singing today. Hey, if you missed this, this series, let me encourage you to go back. First week, we talked about Jesus, the unlikely rabbi from Nazareth. Second week, we talked about the skinny-armed sheep herder. The third week, we talked about Shamgar, the unconventional deliverer. And then we talked about Abigail and Mordecai, unseen heroes. And then we talked about Rahab, the believing unbeliever. Wasn't that a good story that we looked at last week? Hey, look at our theme verse, and let's pray this one or say this one together, would you? Read it out loud with me. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this battle. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chose those nobodies to expose the hallowed pretensions of the somebodies that makes it quite clear that none of you can get by by blowing your own horn before God. Everything we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate, a fresh start, comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. That's why we say, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. Amen? So we're going to continue today, and we start in chapter 4 of Judges. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. And it says this, after Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. As we've been in this series, we say over and over, it's they do evil in the Lord's sight. Problems and difficulties come upon them. They call out to God. They have a season of peace. And then they have other gods before them. And again, they fail God. And again, they fail God. I mean, when you're reading the book of Judges, don't you kind of get tired of reading that? Again, they failed. Again, they failed. Again, they failed. And I think as we read that, if we're not careful, we can be overly religious. Because in our own life, that's sort of a picture of some of our lives, isn't it? We say, oh God, I'll never do that again. I'll never say that again. I'll never do that. And what happens? We do it again. And we come back to him, God, I'm sorry I did it. You know what's amazing when you read in the book of Judges? That when they go through this severe times of testing because of the sin in their life and they cry out to God, there's never a time that God comes to them and sets them down and gives them a lecture. Don't you realize what you're going through is because of what you're going through? And I'm not going to answer anymore. But don't you think because of the grace of God that when we cry out to God, even though we're not worthy of it, God brings deliverance into our life. If you believe that, that's a good place to say, yay, God. Now look at verses 2 and 3. 
So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harris Hegomene. Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. So let me give you the main cast today in this story that we're going to look at. First of all is this guy by the name of Sisera. He's the right-hand man to King Jabin. I think, let me, let me just say this too. Every time you see that God brings them out of problems and they fail and they go back into sin, they fall lower. And then the next time they fall lower and it's longer and longer. And then they fall lower and longer and longer. You see, you, you, you never stay at the same level. When you, don't, when you don't get victory over that sin, that stronghold, it'll come back to you. So the next character in this story is a king by the name of Jabin. And jot this down in your notes so you can look at the story later, this week, later today. Joshua chapter 11. Joshua chapter 11. Go back and read Joshua chapter 11, and you'll find that Jabin was one of the kings that they were supposed to destroy when they came into the promised land, but they didn't destroy him. They just sort of maybe, I don't know, maybe they thought, well, he'll just go away. If we kill all the others, he'll just go away. But how many of you know if there's a sin in your life that you've not confessed and you've not dealt with, it's not going to go away? It's not going to go away. But at that time, when you're looking for the greatest victory, it's going to show up again. So here's Jabin, the king that they didn't destroy. The old enemy always comes back. And then there's this woman by the name of Deborah. Scripture says in verses 4 and 5, Deborah, the wife of Labadoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go there for judgment. And then there's Barak. He's the military commander of Israel's army. So we're going to look at this story. They're in bondage. They're in trouble. They're in difficulty. They cry out to the Lord, and the Lord's going to send them another judge, another deliverer. This time, it's a woman who's not only a judge, but she's also a prophet. So let's look at this story. Number one, what can we learn from this? We need to serve in your place. Say that with me. Serve in your place. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, people avoided the main roads and travelers stayed on winding pathways. In other words, it was so violent that people couldn't stay on the main road. There were a few people left in the villages of Israel until Deborah arose as a mother for Israel. Now, isn't it interesting? In a male-dominated society, it says the judge that brought deliverance was a woman by the name of Deborah. She has two ministries. She is a prophet uh, she's not the only prophet all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament. There were women prophets, but she's the only woman judge. And she's sitting every day under her own palm tree. They named one after her. She's sitting there and she's judging men and women, bringing that. Plus, a prophet is giving them the word of God. So she's there. Now we say, well, why would it be a woman? In a male-dominated society, why would it be a woman that God raises up as a judge? I don't know. 
You have to ask God when you get to heaven. Maybe it was no men were available at that time or usable. Or maybe God wanted to say something to us in this generation we're living in today in which so often in the church world, in traditional church world, women are looked down upon as the least likely. And so maybe God is challenging some of our pre-thought philosophies about women in ministry. So we're going to look at this today. So she's sitting there and she's bringing judgment and she's also uh, bringing prophetic words. Now, here at the Father's house, I don't have time today to go into a long dialogue with you about women in leadership and women in ministry. But here at the Father's house, we believe that when God calls a woman to whatever gift that he calls her to, God knows what he's doing, and we accept that. Now, I know some of you came from a background in which you were told in church because of one isolated passage in the New Testament. Women are to be quiet in the church. And so you think, and you've got a mind, that women should never preach, women should never speak, women should never do that. Because you've isolated on one passage. Now, here at the Father's house, if you're interested, I have a very detailed theological stand outside in the foyer on a piece of paper, five or six pages, that's who we are. And it's rightly dividing the Word of God throughout the entire Bible and not just one passage. So here at the Father's house, we believe that women can fulfill any position that God calls them to. You say, you believe in women pastors? Yes, we do, because they were in the Bible. Do you believe in women elders? Yes, because in the history, there are examples of women that were elders of a local church. You say, well, I'm sure I don't really understand that, or I really don't grab that. Well, one thing we can do is we can study the scripture if we don't understand that. The second thing is that we can just be stubborn and say, no woman's ever going to preach to me. No woman's going to tell me. Well, you got to take up that with God when you get to heaven, okay? And it's not up for debate here at the Father's house. You may have a different understanding of women and say, I'll let a woman, she can do this, but a woman could never pastor, a woman could never do that. Well, then you don't fit here, all right? Just to be honest right there. There's no, there's no, this is not up for debate. This is something that we've wrestled with theologically years ago, and this is who we are. I thought it was very interesting in the last couple of weeks that one of the largest Southern Baptist churches in the world, Rick Warren in Saddleback, ordained three women pastors in the last little week. And guess what? All hell has broken loose against him because of the denomination that he's part of. You can't do that. You can't. Imagine a denomination saying you can't do what the Bible clearly lays out that he's willing to do. So that's my little basket right there. So, and if you have issues with that, read the paper and uh, be open to God what he would say to you, okay? Deborah. She didn't believe in two lies that our culture tells about gender, authority, masculinity, and femininity. Do we, do we live in a confused time about gender or what? When you can have an application and there's 70 options for gender, when we're discussing who can go into the men's room or the women's room, is that really a crazy time? When I look at the Bible, I see that God made it very clear. He made male and female. 
there's a great lie that says men and women in our culture are exactly the same. Well, they're not the same. They're more the same than they are different. I'm not just talking about hair distribution, plumbing, or a voice, but there's difference. Now, there's sameness, right? Uh, we're both made in the image of God, amen? We're both saved in the same way, right? We're both sinful and broken and fallen, and we have to come to God. The spiritual gifts are both for either gender, and we're called to lead in the Great Commission. After all, the first person to find out that God's son is coming to the world was Mary. And the first evangelists after Jesus' resurrection were the women at the tomb. Here's another lie that says, that our society says, is that one gender is more superior than the other. And it raises up male chauvinism, radical uh, feminism, that men think they're better than women, and women think they're better than men. Listen to me. Men and women are equal in importance. Different in roles and responsibilities, but they're designed to work together for the expansion of God's kingdom. It says that Deborah was the wife of Labadoth. Never in scripture is a man introduced, say like this, this is Vance, the wife of Andrea. Never in the Bible. It doesn't say, this is Labadoth, the husband of Deborah. I mean, uh, uh, the other way around. I, I get those confused when I'm saying. In other words, what, did I get that right? All right, so my brain's working faster than my mouth, right? So it's saying that her identity in the home was she has a husband that she was under his covering. In other words, what it's saying to us, she has an identity in her home with her husband. And she gets things right in her home before she tries to get things right outside of her home. There are a lot of women, there's nothing wrong with women having a business. But you need to be sure if you're married that you have a right relationship at home with your husband. Because if that's out of relationship, then you're not going to fulfill what God has called you to be. There are a lot of women ministry people that are not in the authority of their husband in a local home. And so it brings conflict and difficulty as she looks around. So when it says that she is the wife of Labadoth, it's saying to us, and she's writing this, I identify myself with the head of my house before I identify myself as a prophet or a judge. She was able to balance family and ministry responsibilities. I believe that Labadoth must be the unsung hero of this chapter, that he so supported his wife that she could fulfill her ministry in a male-dominated society that would say, no woman's going to tell me anything. No woman's going to lead me. Yet, in a male-dominated, he's not out there with her under the palm tree. He's not saying, hey, you should look to me more. I got that. No, in the house, he, it was in his role, under the palm tree, as prophet, 
And as judge, she had her role. But she could never do that if she didn't have the support of her husband of who in their home. You see, the question is simply this, men. Are we cultivating our wives to be able to flourish in their calling? Are you in your leadership cultivating your wife so it can be that? So do you know her gifts? Do you know her callings? Do you know what it means for your wife to feel like she's flourishing? I don't always do this the great because I have a very strong-willed wife. And there are times that I think she doesn't need me encouraging her. She's got it all together. Some of you are in the same boat. But guess what? I realize that she can never be who she needs to be outside of the home unless I help her flourish and show her that support. So this week we were getting ready. And yeah, you can give the Lord a hand clap. I deserve some glory there. So we were getting ready this week, and I looked at her and I said, Anita, what do you need from me to help you to be all that you want to be? And she passed out. No, she didn't. But she fell on her knees and worshiped God and said, God, you still answer prayers. And so we talked about that. And so a couple times this week, she said to me, you know the question you ask? Well, if you would just do this, then, then I would feel fulfilled. See, it's important, husbands, that we're not intimidated. It's important that we understand that we're to cultivate. You see, we say often, oh, Proverbs 31. Have you heard that? The Proverbs 31 wife. Everybody heard that one? Oh, we want Proverbs 31 women. But could I submit to you that because... There was a Proverbs 31 husband that could be a Proverbs 31 wife. Proverbs 31 and 23 says this. Her husband is well known at the city gates where he sits with other civic leaders. Look at this quote. You want to take a picture of this. You want to write this down. This is fabulous. The measure of a man's leadership is the flourishing countenance on his wife's face. How you doing, guys? Pastor Tim, you can probably identify with this. A couple comes in for counseling. You can identify the husband's leadership by the countenance on the wife's face. Somebody said, when you go to a church and a preacher preaches, you should watch the countenance on his wife's face. Whoa, I'm not inviting that person to the father's house. <laughs> but you notice, Anita, she's engaged. Now, She's smarter than I am. So I may mispronounce something. I may get the verbs out of context. I may do something wrong. I may say the wrong things. But um, she will help me with that after. She's never stood up in the middle of my teaching and said, hello, that's not right. She's never even filled out a piece of paper and held it up and said, wrong. But she's able to look over all of that because, you see, there's just something that happens in that. But we have to be able to, ladies, we have to be able to encourage, I mean, we have to be encouraged our wives. Number two, call up, not out. Call up, not out. 
Verse 5. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim as the Israelites would go out for her judgment. i got to go back to that. Back to the other point. There's somebody here that you constantly put your wife down. Because of her emotional status, you're always putting her down. And she hears you put her down. And then you wonder why you don't have a great marriage. Because you're not helping her flourish. She's different than you. She has different emotions than you. So uh, somebody in this service that are watching online that needed that. Not back to number two. Call up, not out. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites would go to her for judgment. So one day she sent for Barak. And uh, she said to him, this is what the Lord God of Israel commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call, and the Lord says, and I'll call out the commander of Jabin's army along with chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. And there I will give you victory over him. Notice what she does. She calls him up, not out. She doesn't say, Barak, don't you see the conflict that we're in? Now, it's estimated or it's thought by scholars that this is a word that he's already received from the Lord, that it's not something new. Because if it was new, he would say to her as a leader of the army, well, why didn't God say to that? Why didn't God lay it on my heart? But the inference is that God had already said to him, you need to blow the trumpet. You need to get the children of Israel with you. You need to overcome this and you need to go. But evidently, there hasn't been any movement. But now the Lord speaks to her because she's a prophet and she's speaking the voice of God to him. She says, God says, it's time. Notice, she doesn't, she doesn't talk down to him. Barak, you're a sorry answer for a military commander. I'm out underneath a tree every day doing my blessed work. And doing everything I can. I mean, what else do I got to do? I'm a judge. I'm a prophet. And all you got to do is just be a military commander. And you're a sorry military commander. See, that's how some of you ladies try to get your husband to do something. You call him out. Instead of calling him up into his calling. She doesn't do that. She says to him, here's the word of the Lord. Here's the word of the Lord. Here's what we should do. She calls him up. She encourages him, not nagging. She's not looking down upon him. So in verse 8, Barak says, I'll go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, I'll go with you. But you will receive no honor in this venture for the Lord's victory over Sisera and in the hand, will be in the hands of a woman, which not Deborah, but Jael. We'll hear her story in a minute. So Deborah went to Barak. And uh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun, Naphtali, and the other tribes, and he raised 10,000 warriors, and Deborah went with him also. Barak, when we read this story, we think, and I've heard preachers say, well, looky there, he's full of fear and rebellion, and he has to get called out, and he has to say, I won't go unless a woman goes with me. How low can you fall as a man? Then why is he included in the hall of faith? In Hebrews 11. I don't believe that he's much different than we are. Think about this. He's being asked to go against a military that has 900 tanks. That's what a uh, 
a chariot would have been like at that time. Caesar has 3,000 horsemen, 300,000 horsemen. He has 10,000 other warriors. They have spears. They have shields. The children of Israel have ox goads, sticks, and stones. That's all they have. And so you tell me that you get a word and says, I want you to go to battle. And you think, whoa, we're hiding up in the mountains by Mount Tabor. By the way, when you go with us to the Holy Land in 2022, we'll be right there at Mount Tabor. It's like a cone shape. You'll see that it's right at the beginning of the Valley of uh, Armageddon. So you need to be sure that you go with us in July of 2022. So there, there, what? December, yes, December, not July. <laughs> Thank you, Sean, for telling me that. <laughs> that was important because if you had thought July instead of December, you'd have messed up. So here he is. He's got to come down off the mountain because that's where hiding. And the chariots are down in the valley, the iron chariots. And he's got to come against them. So, I mean, wouldn't you fear a little bit? Wouldn't you fear? But it's, and then she says, well, here's what you've got to understand, Beric. The victory is going to go to a woman, which is J.L. And so he says, if you go with me, I'll go to battle. What is he saying? He says, this is a team effort. It's not just me thinking it's all about me, but it's a team effort that I need somebody that hears from God to speak a word of God into my life and I'll take the gifts that I have and we'll work those together. You see, here's why he's in the hall of, he's in the hall of faith is because he knew that a woman would get the glory for the battle, but yet he still went to battle. He knew that he would not be the judge because Deborah would still be the prophet and still be the judge. All he knew was that he was going to do what God had called him to do, and he was willing to go to battle. Well, the story goes on there, and I think what you have to understand here is, is, is something so great. John Wayne, my favorite Western hero, said, courage is being scared to death and mounting up anyway, right? She was an encourager of manhood. Ladies, you need to help the man in your life become who God called him to be by learning the ministry of your presence. The ministry of your presence. He says, I'll go if your presence goes with me. So here's a question I ask. Ladies, does your presence bring inner strength to your husband when you're around them? Or does it bring intimidation? See, God created you to come alongside the man and to be his encouragement. Men, whether they agree with it or not, have a fear of failure and losing out. Men will quit if they don't see any hope. Ladies, if by your presence, not by your words, it's not always your words. It's your presence. Sean said something a few minutes between services. He said, you know, I can do a lot of things, but it's never quite as good, and I never feel the fulfillment of that unless Justine is by my side. Amen. 
That's the ministry of presence. It's not what you say, but it's your supportive presence that you're there. And if your husband feels your ministry of presence, they'll storm hell with a water pistol in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. So, number three, expect divine inter intervention. Expect divine intervention. So, here, Barak comes down off the mountain, and now he's going to fight in these chariots, but all of a sudden, God intervenes with a rainstorm, you can read in chapter 5, and all those iron chariots now are buried in mud. So, so Barak and the army fight them, and Sisera realizes he's sunk. His, his chariot won't move, so he takes off running on foot. This is the rest of the story. You're going to like this story. You've got to read it this afternoon. So he takes off running in foot, and he comes to a tent where a lady is there by the name of Jael or Yael. And so she sees him coming, and he says, quick, quick, hide me. Hide me in your tent because they're killing everybody, and I have no hope, and, and, and you've got to hide me. She said, sure. See, the book of Judges is rated R. That's why you put your kids in Kid City and not bring them in here on Sunday morning because you never know what you're going to hear on Sunday here, especially from me. So she puts him in the tent and he says, oh, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. How many of you know when you're really, really thirsty, lukewarm goat's milk in a leather container is not what you'd like to have? It's partly fermented. And so that's what she gives him. Why does she give him that and not water? Because you see, the same reason that her tent is there. Her husband had this thought, I'm going to leave where everybody else was, and we're going to set up our tent here. And it just so happened that tent was in the area where the battle was going to happen. And it just so happened that Sisera, the, the king that's about to escape, is running for his life and is going to hide. And she says, here, has some warm milk. What does warm milk do for you? Helps you to sleep, right? Listen, you got to read this story. You got to read the Bible. It's cool. Scripture says she was a Bedouin and, and, and uh, uh, woman, and so that means that she set the tent up. She would be the one that would take the long tent spikes, wooden spikes, and a mallet, and she'd drive them in the ground. He's sleeping, thinks he's safe. She tiptoes over, grabs the spike. He's laying here snoozing. She puts the spike right here, and with one blow, boom, straight to, gives him a headache from hell. I mean, right there. So he's, in fact, in fact, this is a song. Now, turn with me in your Bible. The Lord just spoke to me just a few minutes ago that I should rap this song, okay? <laughs> See, so this song that's here in, 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 uh, in, in chapter 5, beginning at verse 24. It tells this story. So let me tell you the story, and then I'll, I'll share with you the rap, okay? Life. Are you ready? Make sure you got your cameras ready. I'm going to give you the rap. This is, this is straight from the Lord. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a, a cats in the cradle song or whatever it is, microwave. This was a rap that, that Deborah sang. You got, you got to see it. You'll see it here. Most blessed among women, verse 24, is you, J.L., the wife of Heber the Canaanite. The Canaanite. Sister asked for water, and you gave him milk. Uh, then with her left hand, she reached for the tent peg, and with her right hand, with a workman's hammer, she struck Sisera with a hammer, crushing his head. With a shattering blow, she pierced his temple. Here's the rap. 
You got to see this. Here's the rap. He sank. He fell. He lay still at her feet. And there he sank. And there he died. As he said, nailed it. You should read the Bible. It's a great book. It's a great book. I'm not going to do that again. First service missed that. But God brought divine intervention. Here's the fourth thing that we want to learn today is that we want to be available. We want to be available. In uh, Judges 5.23, it says, Let the people of Meroz be cursed, said the angel of the Lord. Let them be utterly cursed because they did not come to the help of the Lord to help the Lord against the mighty warriors. Look at that. It doesn't say, and, and this is not Barak or it's not Deborah saying this, but it's the angel of the Lord saying, these people in this region, they didn't come to fight for God. It doesn't say they didn't come to fight for Deborah or they didn't come to fight for Barak. They didn't come to fight for God. And because of that, there'll be a curse upon them. Now, I want to read you what else she says in chapter 5, verse 15. She said, the princess of Issachar were there with Deborah and Barak. They followed Barak rushing in the valley. But the tribe of Reuben, there was great indecision. Why did you sit home among the sheepfolds to hear the shepherds whistle for their flocks? Yes, and the tribe of Reuben, there was great indecision. Gilead remained east of the Jordan. And why did Dan stay home? Asher sat unmoved at the seashore remaining in the harbors. And Zebulun risked his life, as did Naphtali, at the heights of the battlefield. Deborah's singing this song, and she said, The trumpet call went out for everybody to come. But some of you, through indecision, didn't do anything. You say, well, what, what happened? Because they didn't respond to God's call, they missed their season, their time. In fact, Four and a half tribes that she talks about here that were absent. Never again do they make a, a significant contribution for God. Asher virtually vanished except for a brief involvement with Gideon. Dan nosedive into apostasy. The two and a half tribes on the east of Jordan were overrun repeatedly because they refused to find their place. If you are here today or watching online, and you are a Christ follower. And especially if you're a covenant partner of this house. You don't have the option of not finding your place. There's no such thing. Where is your place in the body of Christ? Where is your place that God is using you in the community or in the nation? Where is your place? You say, well, I don't know where my place is. Well, then you need to go to growth track. First, second, third, and fourth Sunday during the 11 o'clock service. Come to the first and go to the second. Because we'll help you find your place. But you see, they missed. They missed being used by God because they didn't show up. And not only that, they had a curse on their life. What is it that God has gifted you with, but you're not using that gift for him? But yet you're saying, oh God, I want to be used of you. I want to make a difference. What is it? What is he saying to you? You see, when I read this and I see that everybody found their place, Verse 31 says, there was peace in the land for 40 years. So I'm encouraging you today to serve in your place. Let's call up people with encouragement, not call out. 
Let's expect divine intervention and let's be available. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you today for your word. Thank you for reminding us as men that we're supposed to help our wives flourish in their purpose and in their destiny. Thank you, Lord, that you revealed to us that wives, by the ministry of their presence, not by nagging, but the ministry of their presence calls men up into their purpose and destiny. And Father, we ask you today to draw people to you and help us to find our place to be available to you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never invited Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life, maybe you've gone to church all of your life, but you've never invited him into your heart. And today you realize, you know what? I, I need to make a decision. I'm, I need to surrender my life. Or maybe years ago, your heart was after the Lord, but you've gone cold and lukewarm and you've actually been like Israel. You've gone away from God, but God is calling you back home today. The greatest thing I'd love to do today is I'd love to lead you in a prayer and pray with you. No condemnation, no guilt, no shame, but a God that's ready to answer your prayers today. So if you're here and you've never invited Jesus into your heart, you say, Terry, I'd love for you to pray with me. Lead me in a prayer today. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I want my heart to join with your heart this morning and making sure that everything between you and the Lord is right. Jesus came to this world. He died on a cross for your sins and my sins. And I get to God through Jesus Christ. We read that scripture earlier. Not through my works, not through all that I do, but through Jesus. So if you're here today and you say, I don't know that I've ever invited Jesus into my heart, and you would let me pray with you today, would you raise your hand right where you're sitting and make eye contact with me and say, yeah, that's me. I'd love for you to pray with me today, Terry. Today's the day that I need to rededicate my life to the Lord. Thank you. Others today say, that's me. That's me. Thank you. You may put your hand down. Others today, thank you. Those of you that are watching online, let me lead you in a prayer just now. Pray this prayer with me. Father God, I thank you today for loving me and for caring for me. I confess my sin, and I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sins. I rededicate my life to you in the name of Jesus. I ask you to fill me with your spirit and draw me close to you in Jesus' name. Church, would you celebrate with me today, those who prayed that prayer? Come on, let's celebrate. It's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in your life. We would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps might be, visit thefathershouse.com next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.